Please stand with me, and we will read today's scripture passage. Today's passage is from Romans 6, verses 11 to 14. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You may be seated. Our current series is all about living the resurrection. And as Christians, we have experienced a whole new beginning. Jesus called it being born again. So this is our next life. This is when we get a chance to live the resurrection. So what does that look like? We want to look at these verses that help us understand that better. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and uh, worship you here and also to send out teams to various countries where exciting things are happening as opportunities are opening up and uh, amazing things are taking place, especially with the young people, with the kids. Thank you so much, Lord, that uh, you're continuing your good work. And we also know that you're working in our lives, so we pray that we would just be attentive to understand what you're doing in our hearts so that we can cooperate with you and be available to uh, be the people you want us to be. We just thank you for this uh, morning and for the opportunity we have now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Death changes everything. And sometimes it's for the better. Now, of course, when a good person dies, you can't really replace them. It's never quite the same, again, because death changes everything. But when a bad person dies, that change is for the good. And that was true in my case. Let me read you from my obituary. It's in Romans chapter 6, where in verse 2 it says, We died to sin. Verse 3, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. That's exactly what happened to me. I was a very bad person until I died. But after my first life ended in death, my next life began with resurrection and everything changed. Because that's what salvation is all about. We die to sin and we're raised to eternal life. 
And so if you're a follower of Christ, you are already living your next life. In verse 7, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Doesn't that sound great? That's exactly what we want. So that, the, so that sin might be rendered powerless. He goes on to say now in verse 8, If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And that's what we want to experience. Death no longer has mastery over us. Death changes everything. So why is it that sin is still a problem for me? Do you have the same problem? I used to wonder if I had a multiple personality disorder. It was like schizophrenia. There was a part of me that sincerely wanted to be good, but there was another part that still wanted to be bad. I was spiritually bipolar. What, what's going on here? Come on, make up your mind. Pick a side. I live in Calgary now. Why do I still feel good when the Oilers win? Why do I still have problems with sin? Death changes everything. And of course, that's true from the eternal perspective. From that perspective, Perspective, it is finished. Verse 10. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You died that death as well. You died with Christ. So the old is gone, and this is your next life. But in our earthly experience, this death and resurrection is a process. And it takes time. And it is something like schizophrenia. Because what I have currently is I temporarily have two different natures. I have an old nature that loves to sin. And I have a new nature that can't sin because it's God's nature in me. And that's the way it is for at least six months after you're saved. Well, it lasts a little bit longer than that. In fact, those irreconcilable differences will last until the doctor signs your death certificate. It's a process. And in that process, we gradually learn how to live our next life. We develop healthy habits of living the resurrection. It's not automatic. Paul says this in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18. So I say to you, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. There is no peaceful coexistence between the two natures that I have. It's a perpetual conflict. It's more decisive, divisive than Hillary and Trump. And so this is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's two parts to living the resurrection, and they both involve math. We have to learn how to count. Count yourselves dead to sin. That's the first part. Consider yourselves dead. Remind yourselves that you are dead to sin. For example, a corpse can't possibly respond to temptation. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So when you die, you're no longer capable of responding to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. That's why there's no casinos or raunchy nightclubs in a cemetery, because there's no customers. They're all dead. No one is interested. Mount Pleasant Cemetery has to be the most ideal community in Calgary, because among the permanent residents, there's no crime, there's no violence, no danger, no terrorist has ever blown up a cemetery. It's the only place on earth where there's no more sin. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. A corpse cannot respond to temptation. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. Count yourselves dead to sin. Death changes everything, so you have to adjust your attitude accordingly. That's what you have to do when you get married. Do we have any single guys here this morning? Ah, there they are. We have the best group of good-looking bachelors that you'd find anywhere. So guys, listen, you're not interested now, but when you get married, you have to retrain your mind to think differently. Because at that point, you're no longer available, you're not in circulation, you're not waiting for the phone to ring, you're not looking for a better offer, and you don't wonder what eHarmony can do for you. When you get married, you definitely change your Facebook status. Because you have forsaken all others. You've died to all other options for the sake of your spouse, who now has your undivided attention and affection. So adjust your attitude accordingly. You need to count yourselves dead to sin, Paul says. Reorient your mind to be unresponsive to sin, not available, not interested. It's kind of like Calgary Transit. It's 20 below. Now you can pick a month, it could be January, it could even be July, right? We're in Calgary. It's 20 below. And you're at the bus stop and you've been freezing for a half an hour and your fingers are numb. When is that bus gonna come? Finally, there in the distance, you see it approaching. Finally, your temperature tribulations are over. Here it comes, and there it goes. What? That's impossible. What's going on here? Are you kidding? It didn't stop. How can that happen? Well, it's because the sign on the bus said what? 
not in service. That bus is not going to stop for anyone. There's no mercy. There's no exceptions. And really, that is the only way you can make progress in the Christian life. If we stop and indulge in every opportunity for sin, whether it's lust or greed or anger or pride or selfishness or gossip or prejudice, we're not going to get very far. What we need to do is just pass by all of the fatal attractions of this fallen world, not in service, not stopping, not responding, not interested, just say no. When temptation tries to get your attention, ignore it and leave it out in the cold. Count yourselves dead to sin. Unresponsive, zero tolerance. We all know how to do this. I know how to do this because there's a number of invitations I would never respond to. If somebody offered me pizza with tomato sauce, Forget it. That's an abomination. I couldn't eat that. No thanks. If somebody invited me to join the Pittsburgh Steeler fan club, are you kidding? That's unbelievable. I could never do that. If someone asked me to binge watch season one of Downton Abbey, what? What? I'd have a nervous breakdown. I know how to be unresponsive to the things I really hate. My new nature hates sin. I have to allow it to develop that into my attitude in a much stronger way. I have to cultivate an allergic reaction to sin. The theologian put it this way. In the past, God has eliminated the penalty of sin. He did that on the cross. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ. The penalty of sin has been eliminated. In the future, God is going to eliminate the presence of sin. Because when it comes to heaven, nothing impure will ever enter it. He will eliminate the very presence of sin. In the past, he eliminated the penalty. In the future, he'll eliminate the presence and, but in the present, God is eliminating the power of sin. And we're in the present. We are cooperating with God to eliminate the power of sin in our lives. And that means we have to count ourselves dead to sin. Living the resurrection is a process a count that involves two decisive convictions. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the second part. Because it's not enough just to die to sin, you have to replace it with something better. Two old friends met after not seeing each other for decades. And one guy said, well, how's it going? And the other fellow replied, well, I've quit smoking. And... Uh, I quit drinking, and uh, I quit gambling, and I've even quit stealing. Well, his friend said, that's great. So what are, you, what are you doing instead? Oh, nothing much. What? That's not enough. It's not enough to stop sinning. You have to replace it 
with something better. I think that's the point Jesus was making when he spoke the parable in Matthew 12, verse 43, when he said, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. When that evil spirit was evicted, that life was cleaned up tremendously, but it was unoccupied. It's great to evict evil from our lives, to go to rehab, to reform, but if we don't replace it with something better, we're just postponing defeat. The problem was the place was unoccupied, and that's an opportunity for the enemy because evil abhors a vacuum. So don't just count yourselves dead to sin. Keep counting so that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. I used to go to garage sales. Did I ever? Wow. I would go to 40, 50 a week. It was kind of stress relief. Nobody understands that. But I went to garage sales until my basement was full of office furniture and books. And then all of a sudden, I just stopped going to garage sales. And instead, I just kind of sat there and looked at the wall kind of was alone with my thoughts. No, that's not why I stopped going to garage sales. I stopped going because I found something so much better. It was 2004, and I bought my first digital camera, the Nikon D70. And once I had that camera, I never went to a garage sale again because I found something so much better. Someone called this the expulsive power of a new affection. When something new comes into your life that is much more important, it expels all of the lesser things. So count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. A new affection expels all of the inferior, obsolete, and secondary attractions. It's like that merchant that Jesus talked about who found the pearl of great price. And to him it was so valuable, he went and he sold all of his inventory, his entire collection, to buy this one treasure. That's what it means to live the resurrection. Jesus becomes so important to you that you don't even want to sin. Why would you? Because that would lessen the value of Jesus in your life. Now, sometimes this happens almost immediately, but it can also take place gradually. And that means you have to learn how to count. Count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. When my next life began, I didn't feel that different. It took quite a while before I got used to the idea that I was actually God's child. When I first graduated from seminary, I didn't feel like a pastor. Me? Are you kidding? Is anybody going to buy this? It took a while for me to realize that, yeah, this is God's will for my life. 
When our first son was born, I had no idea what being a father was all about. It took time. I think it was the first solo diaper change that made it all of a sudden real. I can still remember when Canada changed to the metric system. I didn't know the difference between centipede and centigrade. It took a while to adjust to a new reality. You may not feel like you're dead to sin. It takes time to grasp that you were alive to God in Christ Jesus. It took me eight years to realize that I was saved. I finally got used to the idea that I was under new management and it, life was not about me anymore. It took me a year and a half after graduation to figure out that God had called me to the ministry. But now, after 40 years, there's no more doubt. We need to adjust our attitude. And sometimes it takes time. We need to adjust our attitude so we can live the resurrection. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul goes on to explain that it involves more than just our attitude. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Living the resurrection means that you join the resistance movement. You don't just change your mind, you change your habits. You do everything you can to sabotage the power of sin in your life. It means changing how you use the internet or what you watch on Netflix. For me, it meant deliberately breaking off some friendships. It meant not answering the phone. We need to cut off the supply line that starves to starve our sinful nature. Don't encourage it, don't enable it, execute it. Verse six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. So in verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Living the resurrection begins with our attitude, but it's reinforced by our actions into a new lifestyle. Offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. John Phillips said this. He said, we are so made that when we are tempted, we must give in. We have to, but we have a choice. We don't have to give in to the temptation. Instead, we can give in to God. Offer the parts of your body as instruments of righteousness. When I was still living my first life, I bought a van. Two seats in the front, empty in the back. And it was a symbol of my commitment to the hippie movement. No rules, no religion, no restrictions. Long live the rebellion. Well, 1968 was the peak of the revolution. In the US, everybody was headed to San Francisco. Here in Canada, they were all migrating to Vancouver, to Gastown. So after grade 12, my friend and I drove west. And along the way, we picked up about a dozen hitchhikers, most of whom were stoned. 
and two dogs who I don't think were stoned. <laughs> now this was, this was before seatbelt regulations, but we had more sinners per square inch than any other vehicle in the Trans-Canada. And when we arrived in Vancouver, we lived in a place called People's Park. It was a huge empty lot near Stanley Park. And most of the residents there, a few hundred of them, had made huts out of driftwood, cardboard, and plastic. It didn't look like much, but it was like paradise. Everyone was so friendly. There was peace and love as far as the eye could see. Forget Disneyland, this was the happiest place on earth. Until one night, when there was a heavy, heavy rain. By morning, this makeshift utopia had dissolved. All the huts had collapsed, and it was a field of mud and misery. And the people weren't so nice anymore, and no one looked happy, and it started to get nasty. It was paradise lost. So we left and we drove back to Calgary. And eventually I rededicated my life to God. And the first thing I did was to take that van and to torch it. I wanted to destroy it because it had given me opportunities for sin. But that's not what I did. Are you kidding? It was worth about 600 bucks. Man, no, that van was turned into an instrument of righteousness. Our youth group was taken all over the place in that van. I would pick up people from all over the city and take them to campus crusade meetings. And a number of people were saved in that van. That's what Paul's talking about here. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Rather, offer yourselves to God. So if you've used your mouth as a like a flamethrower and scorched people with your criticisms. Turn it into an instrument of healing and look for people to encourage. And the eyes that you used that were alert to the opportunity for selfish gain now can become sensitive to those who need help, which you generously provide. You see, when you live the resurrection, you're dead to lust, but you're alive to purity. You're dead to envy, but you're alive to contentment. You're dead to revenge, but you're alive to mercy. You're dead to anxiety, but you're alive to hope. You're alive to God. And every time you're tempted, make sure that you give in. But don't give in to the sin. Give in to God, to the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under, the, under grace. Living the resurrection, it can't be done without math. It requires that we learn how to count. So count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that this is a reality. Even though we don't experience it fully, every day we can enter it into it more and more as we understand what you've already done and as we move away from darkness into light, as we 
respond to you rather than to temptation. Lord, it's, uh, it's really an adventure. It's an adventure to know that we have the opportunity to become alive to you and to experience more and more of the value, the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.